只谈情路他另一一千米千帆起，那眷恋依旧卑微。Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the University of the Witwatersrand. Did I get that right? Witwatersrand. I got it almost right. Witwatersrand uh, in、uh, Johannesburg. Good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And Kobus, as you can hear in the background, we've got、uh, a little bit different music coming into our show today, and it really highlights the fact that we're going to continue with our theme of turning the tables. Instead of doing the China in Africa podcast, we're actually doing the Africans in China podcast. And the music you hear behind you, of course, is、uh, Liberian singer Hao Di.、Uh, his name is Stephen, but、uh, his Chinese name is Hao Di, and,、uh, and that's H A O D I, not Hao Di, for those Americans who are out there listening. H O W D Y. Um, so,、uh, in, really, this represents the the theme that we're having all week with、uh, Roberto Castillo, who is a PhD candidate at Lingnan University in Hong Kong, and he's really one of the leading thinkers right now on、uh, the, the the growing African population in China. A very good evening to you, Roberto. Well, it's nice to be, nice to be here with you again in the show. Oh, wonderful! Well, we're going to talk today about the cultural、uh, assimilation and the cultural side of the growing African population in China, and how、uh, D is really part of a growing number of more prominent Africans who are showing up on TV.、Uh, let me just give a list of some of the other ones. We've got Nigerian Hauge, who is really—I mean, he's just everywhere on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really amazing. Uh, yeah. we, and then, of course, we're going to talk、uh, about with you about、uh, Guinea Bissau and、uh, Xiaoda, and then also、yeah. Lo Jing. Lo Jing was one we'll, we'll bring up because that's a special case. But so you know, Roberto, you know, I've been doing Chinese things for for just too long now, almost thirty years, and. And almost every year, I get this email from CCTV, and they're like, "We know that you're a foreigner, and so we want you to come on our TV show and speak Chinese and sing because we want to bring foreigners from all over the world who love and adore Chinese culture." So they have this dog and pony show every year where yeah, they yeah. bring foreigners of all kind of stripes.、Yeah. They really kind of secretly like white foreigners more than anybody else. I mean,、That's、let's、true. just kind of put it out there.、Yeah. But nonetheless, so what I call it to me, it's you know. You're you're like the dancing circus animal, where they're like you know, and so you kind of clap and they laugh at you and they throw you、yeah. cookies and they say, "Oh, look at the foreigner."、Yeah. So,、uh, with that context, the Chinese have a long history of kind of showcasing foreigners、uh, who speak Chinese and sing Chinese and who kind of you know adopt Chinese culture. So this、uh, now, but what we've seen now is in the past couple years, as China's engagement in Africa has intensified. There seems to be, and you will be able to tell this to me in with more precision, a greater presence of Africans on Chinese television and Chinese pop culture,、uh, mm-hmm. and and is that because first of all is that true, and secondly is it is there any correlation to that and China's you know increased engagement in Africa? Well, I'm not sure if there is actually a huge increase in in the presence of. Black people or Africans in 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 Chinese media, but I have found indeed a few cases which I think、um, you know it's worth highlighting them. Now I think that、uh, to some extent,、um, I I do totally agree with you when you're talking about how Chinese use foreigners or have historically used foreigners as token 
you know, in different programs or in different um, uh, media shows and things like that. But I think that to some extent, although it might be, there might be a political agenda behind it, I think that to some extent the the continued presence of Africans in in, in main cities has also impacted on their understanding of what is the foreign. And now they're also started to bring Chinese, sorry, Africans into the idea of like, you know, foreigners. So, um, yeah, that's 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 why. But that's what I think is happening with with Africans in Chinese media at the point. Now, Cobus, you know, when when Africans talk about you know Africans in China, the first thing that comes up, and we hear this on our Facebook page all of the time, is that the Chinese are racist towards Africans. I mean, that is the that is. I mean, I don't think there's anything else that comes up first. You know, it, would would you share that uh, that perception, Cobus? Is that an accurate kind of portrayal when we talk about Africans in China? That people say, "Well, the Chinese, you know, they're not very open minded. They they treat the Africans really poorly." Well, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know particularly from you know any kind of personal experience, um, but it, it certainly is a, something that I hear all the time, okay. um, and you know, it's certainly something that that comes up a lot, not only in um, you know in terms of Africans who live in China, but also the relationships between Chinese shopkeepers and business owners in Africa and and their African workers. So that it comes up all the time. Um, Roberto, I actually wanted to ask you uh, when you look at Chinese racism, um, and this is a, such a wide question that it's difficult to answer, but um, how is Chinese racism and, you know, different from Western racism, and how, you know, kind of the, the kind of Western racism that's based on colonialism? You know, since a very early, since a very early stage of my research, I was wondering, you know, is there actually racism, or, or what is this, right? And as you said, like, this is a very difficult answer to, a, a very difficult question to answer. So what I did, I started asking people, um, you know, in Guangzhou and in, in a few other cities, how were they feeling and to what extent were they actually indeed perceiving, African people, were they perceiving that, you know, there was racism against them? So um, I came up with a lot of answers about the fact that they didn't feel that there was racism in China or racism against black people, but that there was indeed discrimination. So many of my uh, participants, people, people that I have interviewed in Guangzhou, actually talk about that discrimination, not, not racism. And they, they actually say that they feel that there's very, very big difference between what they have perceived in in their trips in Europe or in North America than what they have actually felt um, that is going on in China in terms of discrimination. Now, one, one interesting thing is that a lot of Africans, when they first come to China, they do think that there is racism against them. But as, as long as they, you know, as soon as they start, like, you know, starting, they start learning Chinese or they start getting more in contact with local people and they break through that barrier of the language, most of their opinions would be actually there's no racism. Actually, there's misunderstanding. There's ignorance about each culture. So you know they see it more as discrimination. Although this, honestly, there's really really bad forms of discrimination, not only against black people, but generally speaking, as all uh, against no, all non-white foreigners. In well, let me let me kind of see if I can push you to go one step farther than this and really talk about the historical role of kind of the Han ethnic identity. So China is a country that is over 90, 90%, I think it's 92 or 93% yeah. ethnically Han. 
And yeah. so the, the issue for me is not that they are, you know, particularly racist against blacks. And, and the reason why yeah. that's yeah. a very dangerous narrative to kind of pick up on is because Cobus, obviously in the South African context and certainly in the American context, uh, blacks have been singled out for especially harsh forms of racism. Mm. What, I, yeah. what I think is happening in China, and, and I would like your, your feedback on this, is that the Chinese have a difficulty with anybody who's basically not Han. So whether yeah. you are a Uyghur, whether you are Tibetan, yeah, whether you're a white, and there is this cultural supremacy, I, this idea that the Han civilization, going back to the imperial era, where the emperor basically, you know, he was the, he had the mandate of heaven. He was the chosen one, and the Han people were, of course, the most sophisticated, the most cultured, and everybody else were barbarians, you know, who were outside of the Middle Kingdom. So, I guess my question to you is: How much of this is directed at specifically blacks, and how much of it is not Han? You know, um, there's of course a lot of perceptions of Africans being, you know, at the bottom of certain racial hierarchies. And you do hear that from, like, you know, common people in the streets of Guangzhou, Chinese people, when you ask them. So um, it, I think it's also related to not being Han and being foreigner, but there's also, there's also like, this, this hierarchy that puts Africans down in that, that structure. One of the differences in racism that I see is that Europe is, you know, your traditional European racism, which with which I, you know, kind of I include the U.S., um, was a kind of racism that developed in close uh, close proximity to Africa. You know, it is a kind of racism that that developed in order to to turn Africans into tools or servants or manage African different kinds of closeness. You know, kind of so even in, you know, in 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 very uh, non-cosmopolitan parts of Europe, um, that, you know, kind of that European culture is still, is still there. I think in the case of China and in the case of Japan, which, which I know, you know, kind of more intimately um, from having lived there, the, the kind of, the, the, there's a, uh, this kind of thing, the, the way that race is, is thought of is frequently in terms of, of someone coming from very far away. Um, you know, so it's not, it's not a, this kind of unhappy family kind of relationship that, that you see in racism in America. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a thing of like, it's almost like you, you're an alien from Mars who, who, are, who suddenly arrived there and now are interacting with them. Um, you know, kind of in the case of Japan, I sometimes felt that where, you know, kind of where you can, you see this kind of thought bubble when people are speaking to you, even when you speak, you know, fluent Japanese, where you, you, you see the thought bubble above the head where, where they're like, oh my God, I'm speaking to a foreigner. I can't believe it, you know? Um, but isn't, isn't that just a characteristic? It, it isn't hostile. No, no, but no. But it isn't, also doesn't necessarily make for particularly wonderful conversation. Yes, know? but Kobus, isn't um, that just a consequence of, you know, these are mono-ethnic societies, both Japan and China, yeah, yeah, where people yeah, are not yeah. raised in multicultural, multilingual, multi, you know, uh, racial environments. Yes. So they're just, yes, I remember yes. when I was in Japan and I would clear subway benches. You know, I'd sit down and people would just get up because they just felt uncomfortable next to a foreigner. Um, you know, Roberto, mono-ethnic societies and dealing with, you know, multi, a, an emerging multiculturalism. We talk about this yeah. in the African context, but it's interesting in the Chinese context as well. Yeah, you know, like a lot of Africans um, talk about some, certain experiences they had, especially when they went outside main urban centers, when they went to like Lanzhou or when they went to like, you know, Sichuan, Chengdu. And uh, when they found themselves in, in places that had barely seen a single foreigner back in uh, maybe the early 2000s. And many of them, you know, have this is stories that many foreigners we have in China about like people coming around you, touching you, like feeling what, you know, your, the hair in your, in your arms. In the 
case of Africans, they get a lot of like questions about, you know, if their pigmentation would go away if they clean it, you know. But this, these kinds of things happen. If you put a very white person in the middle of like a Mexican village in the northern it's part the of the country, thing. you might come, you might have a lot of people coming coming out and, and looking at this foreigner. So one, one thing that I wanted to, to comment uh, in respect to what Cobus was mentioning about these historical and structural differences between, um, you know, Western racism and other types of racism. I think that it is precisely because of those historical and structural differences that we can actually not talk about these practices and compare them in, in, in the similar way because, you know, Western racism, as Cobus highlighted, had a very different origin. And I actually don't talk about racism in China against Africans in that way. I would I would rather see it more as discrimination. And that's like the kind of discrimination that you were mentioning, Eric, in terms of certain, you know, s- certain attitude against all foreigners. That, of course, has a more negative feeling, particularly against people with darker uh, skin yeah. in China. Well, yeah, I, I think also, you know, kind of the, the, I think the big difference is that European racism and, and American racism have always had, and I think continues to have, an economic basis. You know, kind of, it's, the, it, it is a manifestation of certain economic systems, um, you know, in which Africa played certain economic roles within a larger e- economy. And I think in, in the case of China, that is not so true. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I w- was wondering, though, is, you know, kind of so at the same time, of course, you have to say, you know, kind of these encounters are frequently really uncomfortable. Um, but I was, you know, kind of I was, I'm wondering, like, are they going to go away? You know, kind of is, is, is China going to become more used to foreigners now that there's more foreigners living there? Or are we in for the long haul with this problem? Well, I think that that's one that's one of the things that I was trying to highlight in that post that I wrote about Xiaode, which is uh, this girl from Guinea-Bissau that was uh, participating in one of the most... Um, uh, popular talent shows or the sorry dating shows at the moment, which is called Pei Chang Rao, which is in English I think is you are the one, and I think that to some extent there's the attempt to you know uh, sort of legitimize the presence of Africans in China and to try to bring them into you know um, away from certain negative stereotypes. Uh, in terms of in terms of skin color, but you know we could talk a, little, a lot about this. But I just think that there's you know there's certain positive impact in the ways Africans have been represented in media lately. That of course could be related to certain political agenda, but they could also be you know evidence of certain subtle changes in, um, you know, in Chinese audiences and in, in the mentality of Chinese. Let me, let me share an anecdote with you, and I'd like to get your response to it. Uh, one of my former interns in, in, in China, uh, she said to me, she said, when I see a black person coming down the street, I cross the street and walk on the other side of the street. Mm. And I was very interested because, I, you know, she, she felt in mortal danger. She really felt that if she yeah. passed this person on the street, she might be physically hurt by this person. So yeah. I kind of asked, I said, well, where did you, do you, do you know any black people? She said, no. Yeah. I said, have you ever even met any black people? She said, yeah. no. Yeah. I said, well, where have you developed the fear? And she said, well, I watch American movies. Yeah, and yeah, in American that, movies, yeah. 
Uh, and you know, and I thought that was fascinating is that they're absorbing a lot of the prejudices that come from globalized media culture. And and so I went to the movies that afternoon in Beijing just out of curiosity and kind of sat there like with the mindset of a Chinese, not obviously of a Westerner who's been, you know, raised in a or an American in particular, a race is ever present in in our thinking. And sure enough, uh, you know, the black character was the evil. The black character was yeah. killed first. I mean, there was a lot of yeah. the very subtle racist imagery that is seeping into globalized culture. Yeah. And we're yeah. exporting some of this passive aggressive racism. So I'm wondering yeah. when we look at global pop culture and, and the narratives that they have about race, how much of this is now, you know, coming into the Chinese mindset as China now engages into the global economy on pop culture? Well, that, I mean, that has had, I have almost the same anecdote as the one you mentioned. So, you know, this idea that the white is the good and the desirable and the darker, the black is, you know, the evil one, uh, you know, is, is to some extent is still there. And, um, it is difficult to, to, to get rid of that. Now, in, in, you know, if you go to the Chinese internet, if you look at what people are commenting on forums, the difference between how Africans perceive, uh, sorry, how Chinese perceive Africans and how Chinese perceive Europeans, you still find all these discourses lingering around in a very, with a very strong presence there. Now, one, th- one other thing related to this anecdote that you mentioned is that, you know, Beijing and, and northern China has never been renowned for being the most cosmopolitan part of, of China. So when you come to southern China, especially in, to Guangzhou, um, the attitude again toward people from Middle East or you know darker skinned people or Africa is, is is rather different. I mean, you do find a lot of people, a lot of Chinese people that are very very much used to the presence of Africans everywhere. Now, of course, uh, you know Guangzhou is a, is a city of you know of a lot of mobility, to, so you still get a lot of like domestic internal migrants or floating populations from other parts of more, you know, inside China that would come there and they they would still marvel in some ways at the presence of Africans. But I I do sense that the attitude of people in in southern China uh, is slightly different from that of the north. Yeah, no, it's it's super. It's really interesting to hear. Um, you know, kind of. I, I wonder if you if you could. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the the Guinea Bissau, the, the the woman from Guinea Bissau who, who participated in the, the dating program. Shelda. Yeah, Shauda. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about you know, kind of because obviously in the end, the you know, kind of the part of this of the point of this program is to send people on dates and then to kind of report back on what those were like. Um, so, did she actually date someone in the end? Like kind of how how was her how was she kind of perceived as a romantic partner um, in in this kind of Chinese dating scape that, that that you know kind of presented on the program? Yeah, so far to, to till the last uh, time I, I saw the show, uh, she's not uh, dated anyone, and one of the reasons for this, and this you can find it also in all the forums, the discussions in the forums of this program, is that. Most of the of the people that have been interested in her are considered or labeled as, you know, in Chinese there's this expression "diaozi," which is like losers, right? <laughs> so uh, in a way, this is still this. You know, I've I found this a lot still in 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 comments, not only online but also in the streets of Guangzhou, in terms of saying, you know. Males that, inter- that are interested in African women are not the handsome, are not the, you know, the most popular 
uh, individuals. And that's what happens a little bit with CLD. And one other thing is that uh, there's this perception, that, which is totally wrong, of course, but there is still this perception amongst a lot of people in Guangzhou saying that all the, Afri- sorry, all the Chinese women that marry Africans are not beautiful, you know, uh, by Fu Mayers, not the beautiful, desirable Chinese uh, uh, women, which is not the case. But there's still all these all these ideas uh, behind, um, you know, um, mixed couples and, and so on. In the case of Xiaode, uh there's been there's been a lot of, of um, people interested in her, and um, you're never sure if, like, to some extent, the production of the show you know, highlights this interest because of different reasons or if this is indeed uh, true. But she's, she's, been, she's been rejecting a lot of people and a lot of people have been writing in, in, on the internet, you know, how interesting she is. Like, the, a lot of people are sort of like really impressed by her values, by the way she acts. Um, they claim to be surprised that an African person could have all these values and education and moral grounds it's that, that kind of condescension, that, that cultural yeah, yeah. condescension. Yeah, yeah. Um, my understanding is that the Lo Jing, and for those of you not familiar yeah. with what happened with Lo Jing, Lo Jing is a uh, a, a young woman of mixed uh, of mixed heritage, uh, Chinese and uh, and African, uh, speaks perfect fluent Chinese. She was among the first, and I think this was back in two thousand and eight, uh, went on to one of these kind of singing shows. And was Oriental just, Oriental Angel. Oriental Angel, and was absolutely humiliated in the aftermath of this, and it really it, it even spilled over into the uh, into the political realm to the point where the foreign ministry uh, was responding to comments on this, and so I have a feeling that you know in China very little is left to when it comes to media is left to spontaneity. And I suspect that, that these are well-thought-out placements of, of, these, uh, of these different personalities and that yeah. they are managed. Um, I don't think it's left up to chance. That might be a little skeptical or cynical, but nonetheless. Um, you, you mentioned this question of marriage, and, and marriage is a topic that Kobus and I have talked about on a number of occasions, particularly with Solange Chardelin, who has talked about uh, research. She does her research on uh, intermarriage in Zambia, and I'm curious about as the population of Africans in China grows, particularly in Guangzhou, are we also seeing greater numbers of intermarriage or maybe even just dating? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of dating, uh, definitely. Um, a lot of um, Africans are trying to get Chinese wives because, to some extent, that makes their stay in China. Easier, it's, although the, even even though you might be married, you don't get like uh, you usually get a six months visa, even though you're married. Uh, but you know, many of them see the opportunity of getting married to a Chinese woman as a way to uh, you know set foothold in, in the city and uh, be more successful in in business. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of this, and um, according to what I know, for instance, from from the Nigerian community office, there's somewhere around. Uh, 80 to 90 um, Nigerian Chinese couples and from some other calculations that I that I have and from some other people that I spoke to there might be around around 500 mixed marriages uh, in the city not too many you know, actually it's pretty it's a small not, number not too many at this point um yeah, you know. Okay. Hey, Kobus. Yeah, but it's which is very interesting actually because you know, kind of come in in Japan now. Um, there is an estimated, and, and I'm not sure exactly how how strong those estimations are, but I've heard the the figure repeated many times that. 
that uh, one-tenth of marriages in Japan are what they call international marriages. So mm. these are marriages between Japanese and foreigners, but these are obviously foreigners from all over, not only Africans. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of, so in, in Japan, there's, it's, you know, kind of interracial dating is much, much bigger, I think, than, than it is in China. You know what I find? You know, uh, yeah, go ahead, Roberto. I was just, just going to say that the Chinese government makes, makes it very, very difficult. Not only, um, you know, they don't get, they, they cannot secure residence or citizenship or, you know, long-stay visas in the country, but also once they have children, if they don't register their children on the name of the wife, if they want to register their children on their name, these children don't get the uh, the hukou or the the, the ID from, uh, from Guangzhou. So the children are not able to not entitled to going to public education, so they need to pay international schools. And, you know, this is very expensive for many, many people there. So it, this is a whole set of obstacles there for sort of this inc- discouraging Africans to, to marry Chinese, although there's a lot, of, a lot of couples. And a lot of Africans have also um, married Chinese, have had children with them, and then after that they, they have been sort of kicked out of the country or not being able to, to come back in. So there's a huge number, a big number, sorry, of orphans and, like, you know, women left alone with their children in the city because of the obstacles that the Chinese government imposes on, on foreigners. Yes, but just to be fair, that the obstacles that you talk about are not specifically targeted at Africans. Those are for not at all. all not at foreigners. All. We, all foreigners and, yeah, and, and also the hukou issue is something that is a big domestic issue. Obviously, if you don't Definitely. live in the city yeah. and you're from the countryside, this hukou, which is your residence yeah. permit card, uh, half of Beijing, it's reported, doesn't have a hukou, which is yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, quite yeah, remarkable. Sure. So, Kobus, yeah. you know, on this question of race, and we're going to wrap up the show now, you know, I'd like to come to you in part because, again, you know, your vantage point from South Africa where race is such an interesting topic, particularly today, uh, but also looking on the difficulties that we've seen in many African communities about on the, the human level, that personal level of the assimilation between Chinese and Africans. Uh, what are your thoughts based on what Roberto's kind of said today about the experiences in China for Africans? Yeah, you know, kind of, I think from the African perspective, um, obviously a, a lot of this sounds really awful. And I think it is, it must be really awful to live through. Um, you know, it, it, it leaves very little space for maneuvering. Um, and I, you know, kind of from what I've, I've read of the experiences of, of Africans living in China, um, it's not necessarily that they, you know, it's, it's not like like being chased down the street by neo-Nazis. You know, kind of, it's, it's a different kind of It's a passive-aggressive racism. It's a much more passive-aggressive. Yes, but it's but it's it's being stared at. It's never being able to just not be just be yourself, or you know, kind of never to never to not have to deal with people. You know, um, people are always like in your face about something. Um, and I think you know, kind of, it's, it sounds incredibly taxing. Um, and you know, I, I can well understand that it would be it would make your daily life really annoying. Um, and yeah, you know, kind of, for, so, so from from that perspective, it's, it's interesting for me just to hear how many Africans actually do live there and you know kind of and live through this situation um and i'm um, you know kind of i think roberto's work really shows the kind of complexities that they live through and roberto what's the takeaway i mean obviously i mean the, you know cobus said it's awful part of what cobus describes is is really just about being a foreigner in a different culture i i live here in vietnam and you know i'm touched and poked and prodded and stared at and, you know, the same kind of fascination that people have with with people who are different. Um, how much of that, again, is African? How much of it is just being a foreigner in a mono-ethnic yeah. culture? Uh, and, and how awful is it? Or is it maybe just, you know, it, people just accept it the way it is and that's what it is? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, um, people that have Africans that have been in Guangzhou for a long time, many of them understand that like it is not particularly about being African. It is it is very much about being confronted with like certain dif- difficulties of being in China, right? And um, you know, a lot of individuals in China, for instance, that been that been sort of picked up by media, Africans in Guangzhou that been picked up by media, they complain about all these complaints that many foreigners have in China. That you know, it's difficult to take a taxi because take taxis don't want to take black people or or these kinds of of comments. But at the same time, many of these things. I mean, I've suffered myself many of these sort of micro discriminations, right? So it, there there are certain attitudes. Um, against black people that we can find in discourse, that we can find online, that we can find us, and these examples that you were talking about before in media, um, those attitudes are not that easy to find them replicated in everyday life activity. But in some ways, a lot of Africans that come to China, many of them perceive that there's this thing about, you know, being an African and, and suffering through this discrimination. But I do feel that although there's something of a little bit of that, there's also, as I, as I just mentioned, um, it's also about, you know, all these practices that Chinese have in terms of relating to foreigners and how they treat foreigners. So in a way, Africans have been, Africans in Guangzhou have been confronted with the ways in which Chinese treat other people. Well, if you're interested in this topic, uh, Roberto's blog is is really the best place to go to, and you can go to it at africansinchina.net. Uh, he's got a great post up there uh, called Feichang Ural, which is Africans in China in Chinese Popular Cultural. You are the one, which is that show Feichang Ural. Uh, and he has a great post with screen grabs and videos, and you can kind of see, you know, the point, the how complicated this subject is. And I, I really encourage everybody who's not familiar with this to kind of step back and away from this kind of the, the Chinese are racist. And just the same way that Kobus and I kind of say, well, we, you should step back from the Africans being racist towards the Chinese. It's far more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, so this is a, a very, this is a lot of subtleties on it. Uh, you, you know, one of the things that we do at the end of the show every, every time is, uh, Roberto, we just want to see if people want to follow you and kind of stay on top of what you're thinking and reading and, and what you're writing these days. What's the best way for them to stay in touch? Well, other than finding my work in africansinchina.net, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram uh, at C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O-R-O-C-A-S, Castillo Rocas. And I will give a little vote of confidence for his Instagram feed, which is, is, is really excellent because it brings, you know, the pictures <laughs> bring life to this, you know. So you've got, uh, you spent a, uh, a, a, an afternoon, what looks like a nice lazy Saturday or Sunday afternoon uh, with uh, with one of the football clubs. And uh, and it looks like oh, yeah. it, just, it just brings, uh, you know, some texture and some life in, to, to, to it all. And Cobus, if people want to follow what you're doing, at the University of the Wits, where can they find you? Um, I am on our Facebook page every day, so you'll see my name in brackets when I when I respond to comments. And also, I'm on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me at Twitter as well at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting the top China and Africa headlines almost every day. And also, Kobus and I jointly manage our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China 
Africa Project. 112,000 followers from all over the world. There are some fantastic discussions going on. We're going to be posting a lot about chi- uh, Africans in China and a lot of Roberto's work uh, and his blog work that we'll be posting up there. So it's a great p- way to kind of stay on top of what's going on, but also ask questions and get, in- get involved in this fantastic discussion we've got going on. Uh, if you'd like to follow us, the best way, of course, is uh, on uh, you know on, on Facebook and Twitter, but also you can subscribe to the podcast uh, at iTunes. And I also want to give a little hat tip to uh, Henry Hall and the China in Africa News, the ChinaAfricanews.com newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter of headlines, and he's putting a link to some of our podcasts on that. So just go to ChinaAfricanews.com, and you can sign up there. So uh, we're going to leave today. Uh, what you're hearing under you, under this, the, the music there, is uh, we're going to leave with Howdy as well, and the full song. Uh, this is, uh, again, a representative of some of the new African art that's emerging in China. Uh, this is, again, a Liberian performer, Howdy. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.